Welcome to Mac Geek Gab, episode 928 for Monday, May 16th, 2022. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We mash them all together into an agenda so that uh, we, you know, answer them and we share them and all of those things so that we can each learn at least five new things every time we get together. Today is going to be a special get together for a variety of reasons. The main one being today is focused. It's all about Synology. It's going to be a Synology disk station geek gab. And we've got all kinds of stuff prepped for you to talk about. And then there'll probably be some follow up uh, video how to's some shorter form things that uh, we'll post to our YouTube channel that uh, that don't make sense to do in an audio form. But uh, but the goal is to for each of us to learn five new things about Synology disk stations. And if you're not a disk station owner, that's OK. We're going to get you into it. we're going to explain why you might want to become one. And uh, and then we'll help you kind of get in there. And if you are already a Synology disk station owner, well, we've got some stuff for you, too. Sponsors for this episode include newrelic.com slash MGG. That's where you're going to go to get 100 gigs of data free forever. No credit card required. And also luminskin.com slash MGG, where you can go to get your free trial of Lumen's products. We'll talk more in depth about each of those things shortly here uh, later in the episode. But for now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, this is... John F. Braun, and and here in Boulder, Colorado, I'm Jeff Gamet, and here in Lee, New Hampshire, I think a first for four of us on the show is Pilot Pete. Thanks for having me back, gents. Yeah, you're, yeah, it's great to have you, Jeff Gamet. Thank you. I know you uh, you were just here. You made a hasty return to the show. It was during the episode that we had you on recently, where we talked about that we were going to be doing this Synology Geek Gab. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you seemed like a perfect person to have join us for this. So we are happy that you were able to make it back so quickly. Well, I, I'm happy you invited me back and, and I feel special because two guest spots on Mac Geek Gab in a relatively short period of time. And we get to talk about Synology and, uh, at, and of course. Yeah, we will all have things to say. We and will, I can't wait to learn my five things. Yeah, same, same. And uh, Pilot Pete, I'm glad you were here today. We we didn't expect to be able to have you, and and through all sorts of uh, magic and other things that are not magic, through a series of unfortunate events, here I am. <laughs> here you are. <laughs> I wish that weren't as true as it were, but things are things are on the up and up, which is good. Yeah. yeah also, yeah, I'll just briefly state that I had a medical emergency earlier in this week that is going to prevent me from working for a few weeks, and so here I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, I plan to sit back and do more production than uh, than involvement, but uh, I'll jump in where it's absolutely essential that I impart my wisdom to the world. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, you bet. All right, John. So let's start by just telling, and we'll go around the horn here, uh, uh, telling everyone how we use our disk stations, and 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 we'll get into the how to use them in this way later in the episode, or maybe that'll be some of those. Uh, video, you know, short form segments uh, afterwards, if it makes more sense to do them that way, but just to whet your appetites and show you the things that can be done with them. Let's, let's, uh, let's go around the horn a little bit here and, and share our, uh, our use cases 
the things that our disk stations allow us to do. So, John, you want to you want to you want to start us off with a with a few of them that that you're using? Sure. Um, so one area that is interesting, but you can enhance, uh, is doing time machine backups. Okay. So I have two machines. I have two Synologies. Um, and I do, you know, one machine to one and one to the other. Here's the other thing I do though, which I think is pretty clever is I also use their backup program to copy the contents of one NAS to the other. And I am enough space to do that. Cool. Okay, and that's called um, hyper backup. Just hyper so, just backup. For folks and the listening. other nice yep. thing is hyper backup uh, can do versioned, um, versioned. Uh, you know, you can go back in time, um, right? Like time machine. Using yes, using theirs. I've had that come in handy when my time machine backup get got corrupted. Uh, you could restore an earlier version of it. Yeah, that and maybe a better idea to just recreate it. Are, yeah, well, you may not be wrong. <laughs> uh, and you can convert that to using snapshots to make it even more. Mm. Uh, you, you don't even have to use hyper backup to solve that problem. If you if you let your time machine backup be snapshotable on your Synology, then you can just roll back to a snapshot, and you could, you don't even have to back it up somewhere else. It's it all nice. it does it all amongst itself. Yeah, Mister Jeff Gamut. What are some of your favorite use cases for your Synology? Mr. Dave Hamilton, uh, my favorite use case for my Synology is uh, is my nightly backup. Okay. Which is exactly why I bought the Synology I have. I, I wanted to have something dedicated for uh, uh, daily backups. I, I have a, a very... Um, uh, well-rounded backup strategy that includes multiple applications and multiple and multiple target points. Uh, I, I do not like the idea of losing any data. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And, and is there, is there another um, thing that you use your Synology currently for, or is that like the it's, so, is it a fixed purpose, sole purpose device, at least at the moment? It it is a fixed sole purpose device. Okay. I, I did go ahead and set it up for remote access because what if I'm on the road and I need a file that I know is backed up there, but is not something that I have on another cloud server? Well, sure. now that just becomes part of, uh, from a practical standpoint, part of my cloud access system to all the data I have in all the places. That makes sense. Okay, cool. All right. I like it. I like it. I like it. And Pete, uh, it, how are you? What, what is your, one of your favorite use cases for your Synology? Um, well, I've got three basic cases that I use okay. for. Number one is uh, file sharing. It allows me to collaborate on projects like doing our taxes, that sort of thing. We put all the receipts into a folder and we can fill out the we even have a PDF that we fill out together. Debbie does some of it. I do some of it. We get get the taxes done, that sort of thing. Um, and so this is file sharing on your local network, yeah? On, on the local network. You yeah. just mount it as a server? Yes. Okay. And and but it's it's a, a rich man's Dropbox, I guess, uh, but a poor man's in the sense <laughs> that you don't have to continue paying, yeah. you know, for, you know, the Synology you pay up front, whereas Dropbox, it's a subscription. So Okay, so I, I just want to make I want to make sure we're clear on this. This is not just on your local network. You're using Synology Drive 
is what it sounds yes. like to uh, yes i am so which okay is a client which is a client program that i have on my laptop that allows me to go anywhere in the world but yes and but as well it's it's things like uh if my daughter needed help with her homework she'd she saved her homework to a folder on the Synology drive, and I could go in and I could proofread something that she had done, those sorts of things. So collaboration in, the, in that manner. Um, every month I have to fill out an expense report. If we go and stay somewhere and we have a, a receipt that we need to uh, submit, then uh, I've got a choice. I can put that receipt in my suitcase and hope it doesn't fall out or get destroyed or lost before the end of the month and take a picture and submit it when I do my expense report, or I can take a picture of it right there at the hotel counter on my phone. I actually use this app called Genius Scan, which converts documents mm. right to a PDF. Then I use the Synology Drive app on my phone and upload it immediately to my Synology, Synology Drive in the basement. And so I n- never lose receipts. Uh, but my favorite is when my uh, Mac Mini decided to stop playing, uh, I converted my Synology to my Plex server. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. yeah. So those are my three main uses. I use it for a whole bunch of other things. I'm sure I could go on forever. But. Cool. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, and and you're using Genius Scan. However, the Files app on your iPhone now syncs with... Uh, drive or any of the other engines that are available. You can have it, you can have it see into your Synology drive. You can have it see into Dropbox and the Synology. Yeah. And the files app will scan pictures to PDFs as well. So yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Okay. There's my first one. Yeah. Ding. Right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, John, do you have any others that you like to use that you want to share with, uh, with the the listeners here? Mm. Yeah, I'd say the, uh, the second uh, thing that I use it for is um, to share videos or other media. Okay. Um, and what I'm using is uh, uh, Video Station. It's Synology's platform. And then to stream music, I have something installed called Media Server. Okay. And cool. Plex, of course. And Plex, yeah. Yeah, Video Station is is like Synology's own take on the video portion of of plex and it works quite well i will say um I, you know i've i've standardized on plex on on mine but i i also run video station the nice part is you can point both plex and video station at exactly the same library of files so they are available in both and there have been times when traveling it, not so much recently because plex is pretty stable these days but there were times years ago where I would be traveling and have some issue with Plex or another and be like, you know what? I'll just use video station. And the nice part about Synology is there are uh, not just web access clients for all of these things, but there are like Synology built iPhone, iOS, iPad OS, Mac OS clients for all of these things. You know, Synology drive was mentioned where you get your own, I, I call it private Dropbox, right? I, I don't I don't assign a financial value to it because you're right. The 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 initial expense of a Synology, which we'll get into in a little bit here, is is high, but there's no monthly fees to keep it going and you get to and you get to manage your own cloud. So yeah, I've I've been using Synology Drive here for a very long time. Uh it it I I have a Dropbox account, but I don't sync any of my Macs to Dropbox. What I do 
is I sync. I use something called cloud sync on again on my Synology mm-hmm. that syncs to my Dropbox. In fact, it syncs to two Dropbox accounts. It syncs to my Google Drive and it syncs to my box.com or whatever. Is it box.net, box.com? I can't remember. It syncs to all of those, puts them all into a folder. And that folder, I then sync to my Macs with Synology Drive. So that saves me from having to run 16 different syncing engines on each of my Macs. And it also saves me from Dropbox's three client limit because I really only have one client. And here's the good news. Synology Drive doesn't even, or Cloud Sync, doesn't even count as a client. So I get to... So so you've even saved yourself a client spot. Yep, exactly. It's It really, it, it works out. It's very good. Um, I've also been using Synology Photos, which is like your own iCloud photo library, uh, right on on Synology. Now, I have mine read from my iCloud, uh, my local store, my iCloud library, but I could just have it sync directly from my phone. You run the Synology Photos app. It syncs from your phone to your disk station, and, and you get all of the facial recognition of people. You get the object recognition so I can search for cats or butterflies or cars or whatever, and it, it finds them. It does all sorts of auto sorting, and it it's it, – if I didn't already have iCloud Photo Library integrated into my life because of my Apple One subscription, I could easily move to just using Synology Photos and probably be happier because you can do all the family sharing and those things that – that we that we complain that iCloud Photos doesn't let us do. So, uh, hey Dave, yeah, can I, can I please jump you back a little bit? Sure. So the video station thing. I mean, I I've been intrigued with with video station, and uh, and and of course I'm not using it because I've made the conscious decision that this analogy is backup only. Sure. Do you know if there is an Apple TV app? Yes. Yeah, there's a video station app for for Apple TV for sure. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. And and I think there is a Synology Photos app for Apple TV as well. But don't quote me on that. Even though I I literally just said it on a podcast that will be immortalized, so uh, I could be wrong about this. But yeah, they make Apple TV apps. They are very focused on 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 the Apple ecosystem, which I've I've loved since day one. I, that's one thing I loved about them too. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of other things I do on my disk station. Uh, the 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 one Synology app that I want to mention before we kind of move on is Synology Office. If you've ever used Google Docs, Google Sheets, Google whatever they call the presentation thing, that's like sort of like PowerPoint but not Google that, Slides. Thank you. Synology Office is exactly that, but you host it. And it's a collaborative web-based document editing thing. You can do, you know, like word processing documents, spreadsheets. I have one of the companies that, that we run here it solely uses that. We don't use Google Docs. We don't use uh, Word or Excel or you know, numbers or pages or any of that. We all just collaborate on the web in uh, Synology Office. And it's on the disk station that's running in my house here. So we don't have to worry about privacy or any of those other things. We own a hundred percent of it and it works. It's stellar. It's really, it's really quite something. So yeah, fun stuff. And then there's a bunch of things I do inside of Docker. So 
that's the other fun mm. part of this. <laughs> and that's where just, I get just to a quick start count. I just stuff. hopped on my Synology interface, and it looks like there's over 75. Yeah packages yeah. that you can install to make this run so oh yeah we haven't even begun to scratch the surface no we haven't it's true it's true we're 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 barely there that's right so uh anything else that anyone wants to mention that we haven't mentioned yet vpn go, me, yeah VPN. go ahead john yeah well you can set up a vpn server and that's how i get into my network remotely great cool yeah, yeah, and it, it, yeah, that that is something Synology's done since day one, uh, at least our day one with them is. Yep, you can set up your own VPN, and and if your if your router if your router supports VPN, I, I would say absolutely use that. Way simpler, but if it doesn't, your disk station's got you covered. You just forward a couple of ports, and you're good to go. So, well, and the thing that I'll mention then is that we've got. We haven't mentioned yet. We're talking about disk stations here. Correct. Synology has two, and I understand a third one coming. They've got some yeah. really prosumer, amazing routers. They yeah. the, what those things do are. We'll be talking are, about the so new great. router soon, but uh, yeah, I figured I figured we'd focus on the, largely on the disk stations for this episode because otherwise we like. <laughs> we'll probably take us down that rabbit hole show to avoid Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, hey, Dave, in uh, the Discord chat, Dogster's yeah. saying, don't forget about Surveillance Station. Ah, yes. If you want to, if you have a bunch of cameras around your property uh, or, or, other, or otherwise, you can sync them up to Synology Surveillance Station, which becomes your own uh, management viewing platform for all of those cameras or some of those cameras. You can have it record from those cameras or not record from those cameras. You can have it record when they sense motion or sound or humans, if the cameras are capable of that. So yeah, it's a pretty cool, um, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The, the chat is, well, it's in discord now at, at MacGeekUp.com slash discord. And we would, it, the best part about one and great part, I don't want to say the best. There's lots of great things about discord, but one of the greatest is that, the chat doesn't end when the live stream ends. Now the chat just goes all week long and it's a wonderful thing to have a home for the Mac geek family. And you folks are kind of running it yourselves. And I am, we are all just guests there. Everyone, everyone's pretty equal, which I like. We can all ask questions. We can all answer questions. It's great. So, all right. Well, we've got a bunch of your questions uh, related to Synology that we will be going through shortly here. The next thing that I would love to do is tell you about our two sponsors, if that works for you, Mr. Braun. Sounds good. All right. Come on, folks. You know it's 9 p.m. You're finally unwinding from work, and your phone buzzes with that alert. Something's broken. Immediately, our minds start racing with what it could be. We're, you know, maybe it's the Apache servers down. Maybe it's the database servers down. Maybe there's a bug in the code that no one's hit before. And you start trying to solve the problem before you've even figured out how to sit down and look at it. Now you and the whole team, you're scrambling from tool to tool, messaging person after person to find the issue so that you can then go fix the issue. That won't happen. If you go with our sponsor, New Relic, New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately. So engineering teams can see across their entire software stack in one place. 
More importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code. I know, it's amazing. It sounds like magic. I think it is, but it works. This way, you know exactly why the problem happened, and you can resolve it quickly. That's why the Dev and Ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. So whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment, and that next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen. So get New Relic now before it does, and you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigs of data free forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash MGG. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash M-G-G, newrelic.com slash M-G-G, and our thanks to New Relic for sponsoring this episode. All right, guys, let's chat skincare. If your skincare routine is basically you washing your face in the shower with that one shower gel that we've been using since high school, it's time to level up. Because as it turns out, that regular body wash that we've been using that we thought was good enough is probably damaging our skin. But thanks to our sponsor, Lumen, we can drop that bottle of three-in-one and start using products that actually take care of our skin. I've been using Lumen, and they, they have great quality products. All their products aim to help with the stubborn acne scars, the under-eye dark circles, wrinkles, sun damage, dry skin, oily skin, and more. Starting with Lumen is easy. All you have to do is take their two-minute quiz at lumenskin.com mgg and they'll tell you exactly which routine is best for you based upon your skincare needs. All of Lumen's products come with instructions, so it's extremely easy and will help protect your skin from potential damage or future acne. Plus, all of their products are made using only natural ingredients that actually work, like licorice root extract, rose flower oil, charcoal powder, ginger, green tea, and charcoal. Skincare shouldn't be that complicated thing we dread doing, and thanks to Lumen, it's simple. It takes less than 90 seconds out of my day. There's two things that I've liked from them. Their charcoal cleanser and exfoliating rub I've been using on my face. It really makes a difference. You, you got to check this out. Like I said, it's super easy. Level up your skincare game with Lumen Skin today. Go to lumenskin.com slash MGG to get your free trial of Lumen's products. That's L-U-M-I-N skin.com slash MGG to get your free trial of Lumen's products lumenskin.com slash mgg and our thanks to lumen for sponsoring this episode all right let's get into some of your questions and really the thing I, the place that i think would be good to start is not which synology uh but what drive configuration is the right one for your synology because i think answering that question is going to help us answer which or help inform us as to which disk station we want to get, because once you know how many drives you want, then you know how many bays to buy. Uh, listener James kicks us off here and says, I just pre-ordered two five bay uh, Synology disk station, 1520 pluses, and I ordered 12, eight terabyte drives. One NAS will be used for video storage and archiving. Uh, the other NAS will be for network backups of a handful of Macs on the network and maybe surveillance station. If I can figure out an automated way to get that footage from one of my cameras. When I went onto Synology's raid calculator page, I was overwhelmed by the different raid options. <laughs> Could you help me focus on the couple that might make the most sense for my use cases? Are there other options I should take into account when getting all of this set up? 
Yeah. So um, the 1520 plus is one of the many Synology units that supports what's called SHR, Synology Hybrid RAID. You're going to want to make sure that you understand what this is and whether or not you want it. It provides some flexibility that uh, that you may like down the road. Specifically, Synology Hybrid RAID lets you use drives of different sizes at the same time and maximizing the capacity of your uh, Synology volume based on those those drives. So my feeling, I, the way I run things, I won't run a Synology that I can't use SHR on because I, I it's really great to be able to slowly upgrade my drive sizes and start taking advantage of the new sizes. Uh, you know, before I have drives of all one size again, it's it's easy to start with drives of all one size. And it's probably the way many of us will start. But that's the other beauty of SHR. You don't have to. If you've got drives of different sizes, put them in and it will maximize them, uh, which is which is a great thing. So I, I, is everyone here using SHR? John, are are you using SHR on yours? Yes. Great. Uh, Jeff, now, Jeff, you've got a two bay unit. I know I'm jumping ahead a little, but have you configured mm -hmm. it as SHR? I did. And, uh, and, and I did that even though I was getting two drives of the same size and, uh, and actually, uh, rabbit hole for a second. Sure. I bought the same drives, but I didn't buy them at the same time on purpose because I didn't want them coming from the same batch. That's super smart. And we've talked about this on the show when, when, and we've talked about it because I've done this. Uh, when I get drives from the same batch, they fail at the same time when they're in use for the same amount of time. It's amazing. But mm -hmm. literally within weeks of each other, they will start failing. Uh, so they, yeah, that was smart, Jeff. Yeah. 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 Good advice. I have to confess, I don't know if I'm using SHR or not. I think I may be because of that brief discussion we had in the pre-show about I bought a drive and it was incompatible, I think, because it was too small. So if someone does buy the drives of different sizes and to start, then they want to put their smaller drives in first, correct? Well, if, you, if you're just starting out, you can put them all in at once and it will figure it out. It's it, But there is a limitation based on the way the Synology hybrid uh, raid works, that when you go to add a drive to an existing volume, it needs to be at least as big as the largest drive in the volume. It can be bigger, uh, but it has to be at least as big as the, as the drive in there. So, yeah. So it, Jeff, you were smart. It, even if you wind up going with a two bay unit, you were smart, I think to set up SHR because one great part about Synology is if you, for example, decide to upgrade to the 1520 plus that, that James <clears throat> talks about here, you can take your two drives out of there, put them in the 1520 plus and all of your settings, your volume, your data, everything is now running on the new Synology, except you have three extra right. drive bays because that's a right. five bay unit. So yep. that that's why I recommend one of the reasons I recommend SHR um, for sure. And I, I really... I, I it, well, case in point, I have a Synology sixteen twenty one XS plus sitting downstairs. I tested it, and now it sits in the box. Why? It doesn't support SHR. It's got a killer processor in it. 
it's really built for it's like that crossover unit between prosumer and enterprise. And some mm-hmm. of the enterprise units are built to just do RAID and not SHR at all. And that's this one. But I'd love to have that CPU running. But I don't know that I want to inherit a, a non SHR capable unit. And it's a software limitation. Obviously, it's, if the processor's there, it could do it. So, could Dave, could you go back to that? What you said just before that, though. So, because he set up SHR, he can switch from a two bay, put throw those drives into a four or five bay, eight bay unit, and it's gonna. It, it's gonna it's take to format those drives. It's gonna take them and spread them across. Uh, co- correct. Now that would also wow. work even if he used regular RAID. It just means that when you take those two drives and put them in the upgraded unit or the the larger unit, you then still have to use drives of the same size. You're you're limited by your initial decision if you didn't choose SHR. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You know, and depending on what drives you're using, that may not be a big deal. But sure. if you have the option. Uh, the flexibility that goes along with SHR, why not take advantage of it? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um, what size drives are we each using in our in our disk stations? D- does any? <laughs> I'll, I'll start because I can get there quickly. If, unless you happen to know, Jeff, which you probably do. You know, um, I think I put uh, eight gig drives in mine. I need to go look just to be sure. <laughs> You, you know, because you pop them in and then you're just done. Yeah, right. Somewhere in the right. interface, right? I mean, I can look in the interface. And yeah. Stuff. If you launch storage manager on your disk station, you can look in the HDD SSD section and uh, and and you'll see that that's where you'll see your drives are. And so I, I can tell by looking at mine that I have one uh, 18 terabyte drive that is my hot spare. So it's not in use. I have a 16 and then that are that is in use along with three fourteen. So I've got three fourteens and a sixteen. It does mean because I don't have a drive, another sixteen terabyte drive. It does mean that there are two terabytes that are unable to be used because they can't be. Uh, uh, um, it, the way the Synology works, you have the it, it, it's set up that you have fault tolerance of one drive. So one of my drives can fail. I don't lose any data. It doesn't even go down. I just take the drive out. I replace it with one or it replaces it with the hot spare, which is a beautiful thing to just have that at the ready. And, uh, and then it, and then it, you know, goes into, into the volume. But uh, because of that fault tolerance, I'm not using the extra two terabytes on my 16 yet. But when my next 14 terabyte drive dies and it pulls the 18 in, well, I'll start using the, the benefits of the 16 and then I'll have two terabytes on the 18 that are waiting to be matched by whatever I put in there next. And that's sort of how I encourage myself to keep the size of my volume growing over time. And that that has worked out fairly well for for me. So that, that's a nice incentive. It's a Yeah, it's a, just a nice way to make it work. So and, and I was right. It turns out that uh, I did pop two eights into mine. Cool. Cool. Yeah, there you go. So. Here's the other beautiful thing. You can just type, once you log into your interface, all you have to do is type the, type the word storage and it goes, oh yeah, storage manager. Click oh, on that. Yeah. It is so, it brings you to where you want to go. You don't have to hunt and pick forever yes. in the GUI. Yes. Um, it, it turns out I have three three terabyte drives. I've got an open bay. Guess what I'm going to be buying some? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just saying. There you go. Um, I found a thing. I've seen... 
when looking for drives that some drives are listed as 4K native. And I always thought that's super weird. Like all the drives that I have are more than fast enough to push out video at 25 megabits per second or whatever. Like, I mean, 4K is is nothing. Why, you know, the bandwidth required for it to just play video. Why, why is this a big deal? Well, it turns out that the 4K they're talking about when we talk about 4K native hard drives is not 4K video at all. It is yeah. the size of the sector on uh, on a hard drive. So traditionally, sectors on hard drives have been 512 byte, which would be half a K. Let's let's think of it that way, right? And the problem is that over time with larger and larger drives, that 512 byte sector has become a bit of a liability in terms of efficiency. And to solve that problem, using 4K sectors was developed as the replacement. The problem is that your controllers, like they, they, they need to be able to work with both and they really can't. So these 4K native hard drives emulate a 512 byte hard drive, but they are ready for the future when you have all 4K drives and you can just switch your partitioning and, and the structure to support a volume of only 4K drives. So that's what 4K native means. Uh, I, I, think, I think most of the drives that I've been buying are not 4K native yet, but my guess is over time that will, that will change. Had, had you encountered some of this too, Jeff? You were... You were nodding along. Yeah. Yeah. Because I did the same thing you did and uh, went to figure out why do I need drives that support a specific uh, uh, video resolution? That doesn't make sense. A bit is a bit. And uh, yeah. And so I found out that, yeah, it's about the sectors. And so then I immediately thought, oh, no, I better check my drives because I must have really screwed up if I didn't make sure they're 4K native. No, they're not. And uh, and it's okay. It's totally okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I don't like I said, I don't think any of the drives that I run are are 4K native yet. And that it's okay. It's going to be all right. Yep. Yeah. Eventually it won't be. But for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. We will have changed out all those drives anyhow. You got it. All right. Let's talk about selecting a NAS. Uh, and, and listener Terry sort of writes the per- wrote the perfect question without knowing uh, that he was going to set us up. He says, what are your current recommendations for a two bay NAS? Uh, and he says, I would just like to do something that gets me started in the Synology world. So I figured I would have each of us and Pete, uh, since we weren't expecting you for the show, I didn't ask you to prep this and that's fine. So we, we will do it as the three of us. Uh to prep what the 2K, what the best two bay drive is. See, you got me talking K's now. What the best two bay drive or Synology would be, two bay unit. And then also, what would the, uh, we'll call it the either wishful thinking or the perfect world unit be for that each of us would recommend? Not necessarily, it may be the one that we're currently using, but it would be the one that we would recommend to you. If you asked us this question today, uh, so Jeff, you want to you want to start with that one, and then John will go to you. Sure. All right. So for for the two bay side, 
I, I'm picking exactly what I have because okay. why would I not have bought the, the very thing that I think <laughs> is right? And that's the, the 220J. And, okay. And the reason I picked that is because if you're someone that is looking to get into Synology and you don't want to spend a fortune and you want uh, a device that has really good performance and, and is going to let you do all the things – this is a really great place to get in to the to the Synology world, and um, uh, in my case, you know, I, I bought it, popped in my drives, set it up so that well, I played with some stuff, sure, and, and then just wiped everything and started over so that I, I could set it up as my backup, and uh, and it works great. It's, uh, you know, it, it is a solid machine at a reasonable price that will let you do all the things. So if you're looking to just get in, here's, here's a good way to do that. And yes, there are others that will give you overall better performance. But honestly, I think for most people, they would never know the difference. Do you know if you can run Plex on the 220J? Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay. Because that, that that's the, the Plex. There was a period of time, at least, where Plex was something that was not just universally runnable on your on your disk station. So, okay, well, that's great. That's yeah. Great. And I assume it runs really well. I'm not doing that. Sure. But yeah, I mean, if I wanted to, sure, I'll, I could spin up Plex and uh, and and do it. Dave, I'll say that with regards to Plex and, and the stations, I, the only difficulty I've had is if I leave some of my files in their MKV format. If I convert them to MP4, I don't seem to have any problems streaming. Interesting. But but MKV, I have problems going to the one television up upstairs. The, the one in the living room seems to work fine. And so I don't know where the conversion issue is. It, it, I suspect it's in the television because it's... Well, works on the on the main floor, but not the third floor. And I don't know. It's a mix of both it, with okay. with Plex. The if it's possible, it will the the disk station will just send its raw contents right. out without having to transcode anything to whatever device you're playing it on your TV, your your phone, your iPad, whatever. Uh, right. If the device doesn't support the format that it is in natively on your disk station or on your Plex server of any kind, then, then the Plex server has to do its level best to transcode on the fly to get all of that there. And that can be, that's where the, I'm sure that's where your issue is. I think it's that TV then upstairs because sometimes even setting the playback settings down to 320 K, it still doesn't want to play. And I'm like, all right, I'll just change it over to MP4 and it, and it's well, it's yeah. probably that your Plex doesn't have the horsepower to transcode th- the MK, MKV videos on the fly at yeah. whatever size you have them. But but the other thing is you could go in to Plex and tell it to pre-transcode your videos. If you know a, a destination that you have, you can say, yeah, I, I will want you to pre-create a version that will work over there. And then you get the best of both worlds. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, because what I've just been using handbrake and converting it to MP4, and yeah, not worrying about yeah, that, it. But, that works too, yeah. Jeff. I we we tangentialized off of you. It, what would your uh, larger than two bay if 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 money were not so the that two twenty J is one hundred and eighty seven bucks 
to just mm-hmm. to, to set the plan. And field. that's bare. That's bare without drives. Yeah, we're going to talk about prices without drives. Thank you. So, what would your uh, your next level up be if 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 you were if you were to take that step, or if someone were to ask about that step? That would be the fifteen twenty plus. Yeah, and uh, and the reason I would go with this one. The, there's multiple reasons, of course, but sure. this one, I mean, you're starting off with five bays okay, and it has plenty of horsepower. So this would be the machine that becomes my version of Dave's Synology. This is the one where I would do everything else and, uh, and then leave the, uh, the 220J just as a dedicated backup device. Yep. Um, so, you know, you've got all of your bays, but that plus, that's the kicker for me, because that means I can plug in extra uh, bay boxes. It doesn't. It, it doesn't? No, it, no, it, it, I mean, you can, that, that is a truth about this unit, but the plus, as far as Synology has explained to me, the plus just means it has a little extra. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I misunderstood why they were including the plus, yeah. but, it, we all but this did. one does what I what I would want, which is gives me me the ability to add more bays. So if I hit the point where I've decided I've outgrown what I can do with the storage that I have, I'm not having to start over. I just add another box and keep going. Nice. Nice. And that Amazon has it for $766, $766 bare, diskless at the moment. Uh, QWE1231 in the chat says that it is $67 cheaper, so $699, I would assume, at B&H Photo. So shop around, of course. Uh, but yeah, that's Always great. shop around. Always. John, what here's would you... Here's the secret. Go ahead, John. Yeah. Uh, here's the secret uh, as to what the numbers mean. Um, Jeff? Um the f- number, the first number after the DS is the maximum number of bays. Um, mm-hmm. Not the the number. So that means basically that you can do a expansion, which is one of the things some units allow and some don't. That's not entirely true. Oh, can this can this do fifteen bays? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you it, can, it can be expanded two more boxes onto this. Okay. Oh, interesting. All right. And All right. so here's the one that I picked for like a, a high end one because it's. Oh, John, close. you forgot to tell him what the second part means. And, and oh, the, I'll play the this, year wait, was... let me play the straight guy. <laughs> John, that was amazing information. Thank you so much. But what does the second set of numbers mean? I'm really curious. As far as I know, it's the year that that unit was created. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, so um, what's your what's your pick for a two bay, John? Um, it's close to what I have now. I have the 2018 version, but, um, the DS 420 plus. Okay. Uh, that's uh, not a two bay unit. What's that's, your pick for a two bay uh, oh, unit? I'm sorry, DS 420 plus. Let's say it again. <laughs> You're going to have to try one more time for a two we bay unit. You, oh, for a two bay. What's um, your pick for a two bay unit? I, I know what it is. It was the DS 218 play. Cause you put it on our agenda for us here. Yes. Okay. And why did you pick the DS218 Play as the two-bay unit? It's a $230 unit, so a little bit more expensive than Jeff's 220J. 220J, thank you. 
Um, I would say, you know, they, it looks like the uh, processor is sufficient to do um, media, and they actually say, oh, make this a home multimedia center. So it, it, let, let's talk about this 218 play, because I chose it as well as my, my two-bay pick. Uh Synology has a fantastic uh, comparison chart, which I will put on the uh, I'll put a link to the four units that we're going to discuss. So spoilers, the two I'm going to mention have already been mentioned, uh, including your 420 plus that I know you're going to talk about in a minute. But the the 218 play and the 220J have the same processor, the Realtek RTD 1296. Uh, the one difference between them is that the 218 play has a one has one gigabyte of memory, whereas the 220J mm -hmm. has five twelve megs, and that can make a difference both in terms of uh, the number of apps that you can run, but also in terms of file sharing speeds. I've found more RAM for just based on the way Synology is architected makes a huge difference in terms of file sharing speeds. So. Uh, so that, that, that was sort I can of see the, where that would be a thing that was, yeah, that was the reason that I, I went up to it, um, in, you know, for, for my pick and it wasn't that much more and it lets you do Synology hybrid raid and, and all of those yeah. things. So, you know, if the 220 J wasn't the, uh, the device that I wanted just for, for the basic yeah. backups and if i if i wanted to run a very robust file server yeah yeah I, i'd go with something uh higher up the food chain yep um but you know even still um especially like if uh if you're on wi-fi for your computer i don't think a lot of people would notice that performance difference that's fair that's fair. That was more about future proofing for me than, sure. you know, but, but yeah, yeah. Either one of these, you're not going to like, in my opinion, you're not going to go wrong with either one of these. Um, yeah, for sure. All right, John. So tell us about the 420 plus the DS 420 plus, which was your, your sort of your, your pick for a step up. Yes. Um, uh, the reason I picked it is it's close to a older one that I have, uh, but they upgraded some things on it. Okay. Uh, but the things I like about it, um, so four bays are enough for me right now. I think I have four eight terabyte drives. Okay. In it, um, let's see, uh, cache NVMe cache, so you can do uh, um, SSD cache, which helps speed up reads and or writes. Um, and they actually have a little utility that shows you the number of cache hits, which can help you determine whether you should do that or not. And it has two uh, gig Ethernet ports, so you can bond them if you want to get maximum speed. Cool. Cool. Good stuff. You know, bonding the ports, that's actually something I, I think people should be paying more attention to now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, the thing is, some of their higher-end machines, I think the fastest they have is 10 gigabit. Or no, I think they make something even faster than that. But a lot of their units have 10 gigabit ports. Oh, yeah, you can, yeah, you can get them with them. Uh, I, I don't know if, I guess some of them are, will just come out of the out of the gate like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Do we need to talk about what port bonding is? No, I think we should okay, we good. should save that for another time. It just it makes it lets you use two Ethernet ports and go twice as fast if your network can support it. 
How's, how's that, Jeff? Is that good? That, that's Keeping absolutely us out of the weeds? perfect. <laughs> the We're two, out of the weeds. The, 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 my, my picks will be quick because I also, like I said, went with the DS218 Play. And then the 1520 Plus is, is the one, like you, Jeff, that I would pick as sort of the step up uh, for most folks. And it, it is, it also, you said it was it, it, your pick to match a, you know, what I do with my disc station. It turns out that is exactly the disc station that I use is the DS1520 Plus uh, these days. It's got a four core Celeron J125 processor in there. It comes with eight gigs of RAM, which I really like. The The one you picked on the 420 Plus comes with two gigs. You can upgrade it to six. And and I would highly recommend doing that if, if you're going to start doing the things that we're talking about doing with these poor ram on these things put it get them mm-hmm. up ram is is relatively cheap these days even with supply chain stuff it's just not terribly terribly expensive and so i i, I just highly recommend putting maxing them out with ram and then and then you don't have to think about it after day one but that's 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 the that's the like i said that's the unit i use and uh it's fantastic it just it does all the things i mentioned and there are some things i didn't mention so that we'll get to eventually so yeah. All right. Listener David. Go ahead, Pete. Sorry. Okay. okay. Just so one quick question. And yeah. I will admit to possibly being distracted if and when you covered it. What is the, uh, so like I have the 415 play. Yeah. What is the play? The the plus is how many, that you can add more bays to it. Nope. The plus is not that you can add more bays. The no. plus means that it has a beefier uh, CPU. Okay. And like the J. So play plus J. The, Don't know. J, I think it means Jeepers. This is a really great device. Or something yeah, there you like go. That. Right, right. Yeah, it, it, I wouldn't okay. I, like. This is why I don't get lost in the model numbers because okay. the rhyme and reason to it is less specific. The, the, like, like you pointed out, John, the 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 numbers in you know the the number of bay, maximum bays and the year it came out. That's great. All the stuff at the end starts getting super wishy washy. And so that's why I recommend just go and use the Synology configurator. Uh, they they also have a RAID or a, a uh, I think it's a, a the, the I don't know. There's a there's a feature on the site where you can say, OK, I know that I want five bays. And so uh, I'll check that. And I want to be able to do this with it. And it starts narrowing things down for you. That's what you want to use, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes because that's the that's the that's key. a really cool thing. Yeah, that's and then you're not worrying about selecting based on model number. You're selecting based on features that actually matter to you because the they're things you want to accomplish. The things sure. you want to okay. accomplish. Yeah, they despite their terrible naming convention, they actually have a good way of guiding you. You just have to ignore the terrible naming naming convention um, and roll with it. So, yeah. Listener David asks the question that's often on people's minds. Uh, I finally took the plunge and purchased a DS420 Plus. I also bought uh, three Seagate 12 terabyte drives and configured them in Synology Hybrid RAID. The plan is to use this Synology to store photos and documents, host my video and audio collection collections using Plex, and create a time machine portal for my MacBook Pro. Uh, my question is, first of all, do I need more memory? Yes. And secondly, what are the things that I should do now that I've got this? What are the first steps 
to take now that I've got this disk station. And I would say that, the, the, I mean, the first step is to do what you've done. Plug your drives in, plug the disk station in, let it go through the setup process, get rolling. And then I would pick one thing per day. And you may slow this down to one thing per week and start peeling back the layers of that app. So what, whatever your most important use cases and it might be backup which sounds boring but you know we all know i would i would get that set up go through it you know i i've often said the venn diagram between synology or even just nas owner and novice user doesn't have a lot of overlap there is a connection there and the connection is if you're in the novice user group and you buy a NAS, you will very quickly be in the not novice user group anymore. It's not that they're difficult to use. It's that there are a lot of layers to this and it gets really fun. And you're going to wind up diving in and getting involved in stuff. And you want to give yourself the time to get involved in the, the nuances of each of these things that you set up. Because, you know, as we talked about at the beginning of the episode, you know, we all have a laundry list of things that we do with these things. That was not the case on day one. This is a process. I'm always adding new things to it. And the nice part is it's it's built to be a server. So once you get something up and running, you kind of forget about it in that you don't have to administer it anymore. You keep using the feature, but the administration of it you know, you have this huge peak of time that you need right up front to get it rolling. And then, you know, and then it tapers off over the next couple of days or a week as you tweak it and like, oh, I didn't want it to work that way. I wanted to do this way. Okay, well, fine, I'll do that. So I would I would start and I would do this in series, not in parallel necessarily. I mean, eventually you'll have it all in parallel. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, that that would be my advice to this is pick the most important thing and do it and then pick the next thing and do it. I don't know. Jeff, what do you think? I, I think that's great advice. And uh, uh, it saves you from getting overwhelmed. You know, yeah. you figure out the one thing, you, you get it smoothed out and working the way you want, and now you can move on to the next thing. But see, the thing is, when you finish working through that first thing, you might realize that there's something else that should be a higher priority now. So it's much easier to reorganize that priority list if you're only working on one thing at a time, as opposed to trying to jump between like five different configuration setups for all these different features. And by the time you think you're done, you're just frustrated. You're just because, frustrated. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and you don't actually really know what's going on because you, you never had the time to really focus on on each thing individually. The one piece of advice I would start with is don't start with Docker. That is going to be the first time you set up a, a Docker container. That's a whole different world. And and what Docker does is it unlocks the capabilities of your disk station beyond that which packages have been built for. Most of the stuff we've, in fact, all of the stuff we've talked about are packages that you install like apps on your iPhone. You go into Package Center on Synology, which is in the web interface. You click, you tell it to install it, and boom, it's there, and there's a graphical interface to set it all up. Docker has gotten better, but what Docker is is just a, let's treat it like another package manager. 
And it's a weird one. So just don't start there unless you already know Docker from, you know, from a past life or something. Then obviously, you know, you, you know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, but I, I would I would get familiar with the way your disk station works first before you learn this new language of Docker. Um, and YouTube videos are going to be your friend on 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 that. So that's that's the only advice. John, you have anything to share on this before we move to Ari's question? Um. Okay. Ari asks, uh, he says, I have a client with an old iMac running as a file server. They have 350 gigs of data, which we want to transfer to a new Synology disk station. I'm wondering about your advice on the most elegant tool to copy the data faithfully to the NAS across the network. Ideally, I would love for the tool to uh, I would love for the tool to do its transfer through syncing rather than copying as the client may update a few files every now and then, or even while it's still transferring. And it would be great to ensure the latest version makes it to the NAS. All right. So you could syncing means Synology drive. We talked about that in the beginning of the episode. That's the, the Dropbox that you use, right? You know, that you manage. However, I don't think I would do that and want to head down that path for what it sounds like is going to be a one-time thing. You're going to paint yourself into a corner doing that. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, yeah, I just don't think that's a good idea. I honestly, I would set, and I say honestly, as though I've been lying to you the whole time, candidly, uh, I would use like something like carbon copy cloner. I would mount the drive as a file share from your Synology over the network Use Carbon Copy Cloner just like you would with anything else. And the nice part about Carbon Copy Cloner is it remembers what it did and can easily find the deltas. And so I would run it and get the bulk of all the data over. And then right before you turn off that iMac as a file server, I'd run it again and copy everything over. Maybe even turn off access to the iMac temporarily. Copy everything over one more time, which is going to go much faster than the initial copy because it's 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 only copying changed files and then shut the iMac down and you're good to go. That That's the path I would take because you really don't want to put yourself into that into that corner. I, that, I don't know. But feel free to disagree with me, Jeff or John. or Peter. I, I'm not going to disagree with you, <laughs> but but uh, I, I will enhance what you said. And, and it's funny because as you're running through everything you're saying, I'm like, yep. 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 And you got the carbon copy cloner. And I'm like, thank you for choosing the correct tool because that's exactly what I would have said too. So the, uh, the massaging that I would do for this is to say, okay, when you're ready to start that initial transfer, tell everyone to go take a break and, and do it overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Do it overnight. Keep everyone away from the, from the whole system so that carbon copy cloner can do its job and you get everything moved over. And, uh, and then, uh, like you said, Dave, before you officially cut that iMac off the network, let it run one more time, just so you can catch the, the files where people were like, eh, I'm just going to do this anyhow. And, uh, and be done with it. Otherwise, you are now stuck in a permanent loop of the iMac and the Synology have to be running so that you don't lose anything. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It, this is not going to be one of those. It, it, there's no simple way of doing this where there's no 
enforced downtime. Uh, but you can you can mitigate that and limit the amount of downtime with all the things we've talked about here. John, anything more on that? Otherwise, I've got a question from Jeff that I will ask you. Um, what am I missing here? I don't know. You'll have to tell us to put it in the cloud. No, no, he he's replacing his he has a file server on the network. Currently, it's an iMac. In the future, it will be a Synology disk station. He just wants to get the data from the old file server, a.k.a. the iMac to the new file server, a.k.a. the disk station. That's all. That's the that's the question. Okay. Um, carbon copy cloner on the iMac is what Jeff and I were were suggesting. Okay, so two things. One, why not just copy the data over the network using SMB or AFP or whatever? Well, you are. You're just letting Carbon Copy Cloner do it using SMB. You would mount the drive as SMB. That's what we suggested. I see. And then let Carbon Copy Cloner manage that so that you have the ability to copy any changed files in the future because Carbon Copy Cloner does such a great job at managing that. You can also use Carbon Copy Cloner's uh, safety net on the copy to make sure if it does have to replace some files, it's not deleting them in the process, just in case there were changes made where there shouldn't have been. So. Okay. So plug the carbon copy cloner drive into the Synology. Nope. uh, Run carbon copy cloner on the iMac because it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a Mac based program Mm -hmm. and point carbon copy cloner at the folder on the iMac that currently has the data and then tell it to copy that to the SMB share over the network that is on the disk station. And then it'll take care of it. We did. I see. We did have a comment though, from, uh, from Dogster in the chat room at MacGeekab.com slash discord, where he says, why are you using carbon copy cloner instead of Chronosync? And Chronosync might be a better answer. Because Chronosync will accomplish what Ari asked. It will sync the files in real time, but it's using your Mac as the driver of that, not the disk station, which is where my head initially went. And so you can put that data anywhere you want. And then at some point, you just shut down the iMac and Chronosync stops. I like this. I like this. It's good. Yeah. Yep. This is why we do the show. This is why I love the chat room. Thank you. Thank you, Dogster. <laughs> Very cool. All right. One last question before we, well, before we share just a couple of cool stuff found and then, and then get out of here. Uh, listener Jeff says, I've got a DS918 plus that I'm get a, getting better at utilizing and starting to have significant items stored here. Being a network drive, it is not backing up to my Backblaze account. I'm curious about which types of backup I should be using to protect this data from loss. I know there are solutions that involve AWS. Backblaze does have a solution. I believe Synology has their own cloud backup solution. I'm normally a path of least resistance type of guy and default to integrated solutions when I can, but I'm not sure what the best option of this is. John, do you want to take the answer? Are you backing up your Synology? I know you're backing up your Synology. So tell people what you're doing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not doing it to the cloud, though. Understood. Uh, what I do is I use hyper backup and take the contents of one NAS and copy it to the other because yep. I have enough space to do that. No, and hyper backup in terms of path of least resistance, I would agree that that's wherever you're going to back it up to, 
that's the place to start is hyper backup because it's right. built to do this. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man. Yep. Um, um, I'm not doing that though. You're not using hyper backup. Well, yeah, I'm using hyper backup, yeah. but with my own drive. With, yeah. With you, you, third party. you own your own cloud storage, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The, if you don't own your own cloud storage, my advice again, based on path of least resistance, would be to go with Synology's C2 storage, which Jeff alluded to there. I I do both. I, I do what John does because I have an extra NAS. And then there is a subset of my data that I back up to a one terabyte store that I purchased at Synology C2. Again, just for, you know, just to have it not here. But like my, you know, whatever, 12 terabyte uh, Plex library. I'm not paying for cloud storage for that, but I definitely don't want to lose it. So, but what if we were, you know, Pete, you and I did this a long time ago with crash plan and we certainly could do it now. Hyper backup using your solution, John, uh, from one disk station to another does not require those two disk stations to be on the same local network. So, you know, you could take that other disk station and put it at my house or at Pete's house. And now you have an offsite backup that you're not paying monthly or annual fees for, unless Peter, I charge you monthly or annual well, fees. There's that, right? There's that. <laughs> Dave, there's income here. You're for you. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm very eager to do something like that yeah. because, yeah, we were doing that before with our Drobo boxes. And then Crash Plan went to a, a money based in order to keep it, doing that or something. Yeah, it, it just it uh, stopped being the right solution for us yeah, for that. Which was yeah. too bad. Yep. And then but, it yeah, and there's nothing, solution. you know. And then, yeah. sorry, Jeff, what was that? And then it stopped being a solution. And then it stopped being a solution. I, I do have an answer, though, that I'm going to bring us into our Cool Stuff Found segment, where there are only two things. Uh, I promise. We're we're almost finished here, folks. Or at least we're hey, almost finished Dave, with this. Dave, before you jump into that, yeah, uh, AWS was one of the options yeah. that was tossed out. I'm going to say don't. Don't with the AWS. Because okay. for most people... It turns into a brain damage situation, and I would say that's a much better solution if uh, you're at uh, at like a much higher level in the business food chain. Got it. Um, yeah, p- pick some other solution. And and there are AWS. lots. I, you know, you can back up using hyper backup. I think to Dropbox, you can back up to Google mm-hmm. Drive. Like there, just run hyper backup, and you will see all of the options, it, the ones we've mentioned, and lots, lots more. Uh, so check them. They change not not all too frequently, but they do. That list evolves. And I've found over the years, I've found some free solutions on there where it's like, oh, you get, you know, 10 gigs free. It's like, okay, I'll pick pick 10 gigs of data and send it over there. Perfect. And you can do it securely and all that good stuff. You did mention Backblaze, though, and you're right. The Backblaze desktop client will not back up uh, network stores unless you use our first cool stuff found. Listener Keith sent this in a while back. He says, uh, many, many episodes ago, you mentioned Auto Mounter. He says, I have a Synology NAS, and based on your comments, I bought Auto Mounter from the App Store so that my iMac wouldn't keep losing my links to my mounted shares. And this is a problem with Mac OS. It, it doesn't like to restore these links. And we've talked about these solutions over the years, and Auto Mounter, of course, was one of them. He says, I've been noticing for a few days, though, that my Internet at home seemed relatively slow. And despite doing a few tests, I was unable to figure out why. 
Then, during an update scan, Mac Updater told me there was an update for Backblaze. This update can't be done via Mac Updater, and I had to open the Backblaze client. Imagine my surprise to notice that it was four terabytes into a 16 terabyte upload. <laughs> he says, I, I have an iMac with one terabyte SSD and an external two terabyte drive. So I was a little surprised to see this in Backblaze. Backblaze. But it didn't take me long to realize that Backblaze was backing up the contents of my disk station. Auto Mounter creates a link in home library containers, yada, yada, to the shares it mounts, and Backblaze was simply following those links. And indeed, if you go to Auto Mounter's website, it talks about using, you know, Backblaze to back up to your NAS, uh, or, or the other way around, using your, your Backblaze to back up your NAS. And uh, yeah, it's just one of the things that's there. And it's been it, Auto Mounter, despite this, this is a two-year-old cool, cool stuff found that we surfaced for this episode. But uh, nice. but auto mounters been continually updated ever since. So it's it's uh, it's a it's a valid solution still. So yeah. Hey, hey Dave. Hey, as long Jeff. as we're here, yeah. Do you mind if I derail us? Not exactly. Don't even ask. Let's go. Okay, here we go. Here's my problem, and I'm throwing this out to the Mac Geek Gab Collective. A geek challenge, we call these. This is a challenge. Okay, so here's the problem that I have not been able to solve, and it does involve my Synology. So when my Synology is mounted uh, on my Mac, Time Machine insists on trying to back it up. And when I when I add the Synology to the ignore list in Time Machine, it will not stay. Like, it immediately is just gone from the from that list. Does anyone know any way to force Time Machine to ignore that Synology mount? So the the weird part is that I couldn't get Time Machine to back up my disk station shares if I tried. So, so <laughs> send them over here, Dave. I've got your back. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so th- this is I'm I'm uh, my question without going too far down the hole here is. How are you mounting these shares? Are they just normal file sharing shares or are you using something like auto mounter? Uh, no, they're just normal file sharing shares. Well, if anybody knows feedback at MacGeekGab.com, I don't have yeah. that answer. Yeah. And, and I do not have auto mounter installed, although I had considered using it at one point and then was like, you know, I have enough problems trying to keep my uh, my time machine disk from from basically exploding yeah. with uh, with too much data coming over from the Synology. Uh, I need to fix one problem before I start automating other things. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, uh, I don't have an answer for that, but maybe someone does. And so we will we will we will forward those answers. We will share those answers in the show, but we will also forward them along to you, Jeff, uh, if it happens to be an episode where you're not joining us. Uh, The last thing I've got on our list is a cool stuff found. I stumbled into this. There is a Synology app for it, and it is called Virtual Here, H-E-R-E, Virtual Here. You run it on your Synology. And then you run the client. So we'll say you run the server on your Synology and you run the client on your Mac or your Windows or Linux or Android device. And what it does is it 
finds USB devices connected to your uh, server. So the Synology and then connects them to your Mac as though you have plugged the USB device directly into your Mac. Oh, yeah. So if you and this is especially helpful, uh, you know, on your home network for laptop users, if you have some. You know, let's say you have a label printer, right, that needs to be USB connected. And a printer might be a bad example in in a lot of cases because the Synology can also, a feature we didn't mention, is it can take a USB attached printer and share it as a networkable printer, including AirPrint, which is cool. Uh, But, you know, if you've got some label printer or something that requires special software to talk directly to it to do its magic things and it can't be network shared in a traditional sense, virtual here is your friend. So I'm still looking for it. Like, I feel like I've got a use case for this just sitting there and I just got to find it. So. And when you do find it, I'll let you know. (laughs) Please do. Because, I mean, this is so cool. Right. Now I just want to use it. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Any thoughts on that, John, before we uh, before we pull the ripcord on this here? No. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, Jeff. Thanks for hanging out with us, Pete. This has been a blast. Thanks for hanging out with us, everyone. We really appreciate, uh, oh, we appreciate everything. It's it's fantastic. This has been so much fun. Thanks for coming, Jeff. I know you were just here, but if you want to, if you would please, in fact, briefly tell people where to find you again, I would, I would appreciate that. Well, sure. Uh, How about Twitter and Instagram, jgamut, youtube.com slash jgamut for some videos and um, uh, uh, John, are you aware that Brian Chaffin and I have teamed up again and we're doing um, the context machine? I heard rumors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, kind, kind of get around. I do a lot of shows. I'm easy to find. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. I knew when when we talked about this, that when we teased this out the first time, I knew that you were uh, the right one to have join us. And, and I believe we've proven that true. So, And I'm so glad I got to be here for this. Yeah, this has same. been so much fun. Sweet. We will be doing some uh, more in-depth, shorter form, like how-tos that uh, that we'll be releasing in the future here. So t- keep a lookout at uh, our YouTube channel. You can go to, just go to MacGeekUp.com slash YouTube, and that will bring you there. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time, I suppose. It's how it's going to work. Thanks for checking out our sponsors. MacGeekUp.com slash sponsors will always show you all the latest. And then, of course, there's lumenskin.com slash mgg and newrelic.com slash mgg. We mentioned in this episode. Join our Discord channel. We're having a blast. John, we'd love to have you there. MacGeekUp.com slash Discord. Speaking of which, Mr. Braun, do you have any... I know you got us into this mess, but you've been saving your voice this episode. Oh, crap. I think John just left. No, he's back. My goodness, something almost happened. John... I bet that experience of having to leave and come back taught you something. Maybe you now have a lesson you could share with our listeners. I certainly do. And that is, don't get caught. Good advice. We'll see you next time.